40 odd years later or something like that, I still don't know what Terrigen is. What distinguishes you is not your tool, but the question. When you have a, your father on TV. I'm passionate about what I do, so it's not, it's not hard. But it was easy in the early days because was, everything was new. Let me tell you, you deliver cookies on a stick and one of your deliveries is your high school girlfriend, you quickly find out what you want to do in your life. Hello and welcome to Biomarkers, the audio series that archives the oral history of organic geochemistry. I'm your host, Fatima Hussein, and I'm here today with my series co-creators and fellow organic geochemists, Angel Maharo and Juliana Drozd. Hey, Fatima. Hello. So for today's episode, we spoke with Susan Gaines, author of Carbon Dreams and co-author of the organic geochemistry staple, Echoes of Life. Many of us might have these books at home on our shelves. I know I do. I actually just finished reading Echoes of Life. In our conversation, Susan walked us through her journey in science and in writing. I'm excited to hear it. Here we go. So I'm Susan Gaines. My writing name is Susan M. Gaines because there's a gazillion Susan Gaineses in the world. I'm I was educated at Scripps Institution of Oceanography in uh, marine chemistry um, and uh, dropped out of grad. So, so it's kind of a surprise that I'm on this show because I actually dropped out of graduate school <laughs> three years in um, to write novels, which was my first love, I guess. Um, and uh, have been doing that ever since um, all, with the, a, a slight break to write Echoes of Life, which was a nonfiction science book. Currently, Susan lives in Germany. And I lead uh, here, I, I'm head of a group called um, Fiction Meets Science, uh, which is a group of um, literary scholars, sociologists, and scientists that are interested in fiction, literary fiction, realist fiction about science, fiction that takes science seriously. We wanted to follow students' path from science to science fiction. So my undergrad was in chemistry, and I was interested in uh, physical organic chemistry, basically theoretical physical organic chemistry. And I studied with Jeff Beta. He didn't work with uh, geochemical biomarkers of the sort that Jeff worked with, but with amino acid um, racemization used in dating. Um, so he developed those, he developed those techniques. Um, and he'd worked um, with Stanley Miller, who did some of the first uh, origin of life. Uh, in fact, Stanley was on my committee, um, origin of life uh, experiments in situ in the lab. Um, so my work, my work with him was, um, uh, was really um, theoretical physical organic chemistry, which I had hoped at some point to uh, apply to uh, dissolved organic matter in the oceans. Um, but I dropped out, I don't, I don't know, I'd done about three years of research when I, I realized that I couldn't, I wasn't gonna be able to do research the way I wanted and write books. Um, and I really didn't wanna teach. Um, so I just said, okay, bye. <laughs> Took a master's and, and left. We asked Susan what she initially did after earning her master's. <laughs> this is a good question because I actually, I gave up uh, my fellowship and I had no money. Um, but that was, so that was way back in the, let's see, when did that happen? Late eighties. Um, and my initial, what I did is I quit <laughs> and I realized I had to scramble to earn a living. So I had a lot of odd jobs over the years. Um, I went to Japan and taught English um, all of while, all while I was learning to write. So I wrote my first short stories, um, started publishing. And those first years, I really divorced myself from science. I thought, uh, 
I, I wanted, I got, I had jobs that I didn't have to think about too much that I didn't take home so I could have some writing time. Um, and then about, oh God, I don't know, several years in, I'd published my first stories. I'd written a first novel that ended up in the graveyard for first novels. And I started thinking about the novel that would become Carbon Dreams. For those of us who don't already have a copy in our libraries, Carbon Dreams has scientists and organic geochemists as the main protagonist. Um, and when I started thinking about that novel, I was basically, I was just basically thinking, I've been writing about, I come from California. So, so I, a lot of my work is about sort of human relationships to nature. And for me, with my training as a chemist, um, part of that relationship is chemistry. So, so, and I realized that when people think of chemistry, they think of synthetic chemistry, they think of, you know, pesticides and pharmaceuticals. And I wanted to write about, I wanted to, to bring across that feeling of chemistry as a way of understanding the natural world. Um, so that was one of the first, and I, and I also wanted to write about science as a creative process because people think, oh, it's so cut and dry. Um, so that was part of the initial impetus for, for this novel that science started creeping back into. And then I guess I'll tell you about that because that's how this kind of, how, that's how this all kind, that's how organic geochemistry basically ended up in a novel. In the process of writing Carbon Dreams, Susan. I started getting back into science and I was, miss, I was basically missing science. So I started doing a lot of the reading that I hadn't had time to do as a graduate student because when you're in grad school, as you probably know, things get very, very, very narrow. So this sort of big picture, you know, I wanted to read about the carbon cycle. I wanted to, I wanted to look big. So I started doing a lot of reading um, and thinking about, and then I thought, well, I'm just gonna put a, a actual scientific research project into the novel. And I'm going to develop it as if I were actually doing it. So I said, okay, well, what would that research project be? And so I started, I was just reading and reading and reading. And I came across um, Jeff Eglinton's group's early uh, papers about the alkanones. And I thought this, and, and I mean, those were basically the first, some of the first biomarker papers or the first ones that I came across. And I was completely excited. I mean, I was just the nerd of the nerd. I thought this is so cool that you can find these organic molecules in the sediments and they tell you something about ancient life, you know, and they tell you something about the climate of the past. So uh, I took a couple of those papers and I um, gave them to my protagonist and then I let her develop them. I fictionalized them and I let her develop it. And at some point I stopped reading the, the um, scientific literature and let her develop them sort of in the direction that logically would proceed. So I made up all these rules about how I dealt with the science in the fiction that the basic, everything had to be plausible for the time when the book was set, which was in the um, early 1980s, right? Um, so anyway, that, that went on and on and Carbon Dreams became a story about, I mean, I had to, it became a story about a young, uh, scientist who, um, whose, whose study of the climates of the distance past, um, has relevance to, uh, what was, had relevance to what people were finding out about climate change in the future. And she got sucked into the, um, uh, into the, the public debate and the media debate, um, about climate change in the 1980s. 
Um, and so that's the conflict of the book. Um, and while I was researching it, I found out all kinds of things I didn't. I mean, I, I went to scripts, right? And climate change was, okay, we know this is happening and um, no question. So I was shocked when I started reading old newspaper articles. I was working on the book in the late 90s. And I started reading old newspaper articles then and finding out how much even the basic science had been questioned in the, so I threw all that into the novel. Um, so anyway, this this was a, a novel with some very, very, it was experimental. I worked on the premise that I couldn't have a character in a novel who uh, was a chemist uh, without actually having the chemistry on the page. So you're inside her head in the novel, which was very difficult. Um, she dreams about organic chemical reactions, like which I actually did as a student where where the, the 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 compounds are it's like the reactions are relationships between like people <laughs> um so those that's where the title comes from um so anyway i wrote that book and uh it went out into the world in a very small way um partly because it was experimental and at that time the idea of putting that much science into a literary novel was kind of unheard of um uh, but it had a sort of cult following among scientists and that I didn't know about until later. After publishing Carbon Dreams, Susan went on a book tour and she ended up in Woods Hole. I get this note from Jeff Eglinton um, inviting me to Woods Hole to give a reading and a talk. That He said he had read Carbon Dreams. So I guess Meshwin had sent him Carbon Dreams. He had read Carbon Dreams and he has said the hair stood up on the back of his neck because it was just like the discovery was in the lab. Well, I mean, you know, I made this up based on just the scientific papers, right? So, so he said, he read it and he said to Meishwin, who is this woman? I have no idea. <laughs> so he invited me to Woods Hall. That was great fun. I gave a talk to, um, oh, and the last scene of the book, actually, the last scene of the novel takes place um, in Woods Hall, on the beach out, out in Woods Hall, where I had never been, um, but I got it right somehow. <laughs> so, so anyway, that was great fun. So Jeff started, now, I don't know how much you've heard about Jeff along the way as you've been doing this history, but um, Jeff was, uh, Jeff was um, extremely charming and persuasive um, and a character, right? So uh, Jeff, at that time, he was already an emeritus, um, but he was still doing research and he was kind of known, he was kind of known in the whole community for getting samples from, he'd have these samples that he'd get from somewhere, but he didn't have a lab anymore. So he'd show up in your lab and convince you to analyze his samples for him, right? No matter where, all over the place, Jeff would show up with these samples. So um, he was kind of a force in the, in the field. Soon after, Susan says Jeff asked her if she could help write a popular science book about organic geochemistry. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, I said, I'm a novelist. I said, I don't even like popular science books for one. And finally, and then I, you know, so I went home. I mean, I was honored, of course. This is the father of organic geochemistry. Uh, and I went home and I kept getting these periodic emails <laughs> trying to convince me to write this book. And finally, at some point I said to him, you don't seem to understand how I live. I mean, I had no money at the time. I was the, the classical starving writer, right? So I said, I write, I don't get any money for my novels. These are literary novels. I get very little money for them. I do all kinds of other things. Teach, I teach English, I teach writer's workshops. I do anything, to, I worked in a library. You know, I did anything to make money to support my writing habit, right? So I said, you know, I can't write a book. I can't write this nonfiction book on that same premise. 
Um, so I said, if there were money and it would support both that book and my novel, I might do it. And I said it kind of tongue in cheek thinking, okay, let's get rid of the guy. So long story short, I, I think about six months later, I get an invitation from Germany to an institute for advanced, to the Hansa Institute for Advanced Study from a guy from Jürgen Ruhlkutter, who I had never heard of, <laughs> um, and who is was a is a organic geochemist in Oldenburg in um, northern Germany, and they were in, he was inviting me to an art in science residency at this institute for advanced study with a fellowship attached. It turned out that Jürgen had also read Carbon Dreams <laughs> because. Um, Keith Fenvolton, a, a colleague in California, had sent it to him, and he had been really excited about the book, and he had been affiliated with this Institute for Advanced Study where they invite scientists from all over the world to work on special projects. Um, so you live at the Institute for a year, and you work usually in collaboration with one of the local laboratories in northern Germany, uh, and there was a strong organic geochemistry contingent here, Jürgen's lab in um, in, in Oldenburg at the time. Uh, and so he had the idea that it would be fun to invite this novelist to be there among all the scientists to write a new novel. But I didn't know that because by the time I heard about it, it turned out that Jeff and Jürgen were colleagues <laughs> and Jeff had been at this institute. So Jeff started also talking about this novel he'd read. Oh, here it is, Carbon Dreams, it's out of print now. Um, and, uh, and so Jeff's told him his idea about a biomarker, um, popular science book. I still said no, but then they offered me a lot of money, <laughs> which what for me was a lot of money at that time. So I said, okay, what the hell I have, I can't even pay my rent right now. So I went and, um, uh, and then the, and then the, so the three of us wrote, um, Echoes of Life. We asked Susan about what it was like to write Echoes and how she went about it. When we started out, I mean, my first premise was, I don't like popular science books. I'm not going to write a popular science book. They always water down the science. If we do this, it's going to be hardcore science. But I said, I'm a novelist, you know, so if I do it, um, there's got to be a reason why I'm writing this. So I ended up writing something that was, again, sort of genre stretching, um, which is a narrative science book. Um, so I used literary prose and I used the, this is where the history of, of geochemistry comes in because I thought, okay, this book has to be accessible to geologists. It has to be accessible to biologists. It has to be accessible to chemists. And they don't often talk to each other. Usually, I mean, there's this whole thing about, I don't know if you've heard the story that geologists often look at organic chemistry like it's, you know, like chicken wire or something. They don't want anything to do with it. They glaze over. So I said, one way to make the book accessible is if I use the history of the field to tell the science because the science was simpler back when Jeff and those guys started out. Um, what the instruments were simpler, the whole the whole structure, you know, they were working with basic hydrocarbons. Um, so that's what I did. And and because it was a story, it makes it more engaging. So I ended up using the history of organic geochemistry basically to bring across an overview of the whole field. Um, 
I read thousands. I mean, I, I thought Jurgen and Jeff would sort of feed me stuff and they did and I needed them, but I turned out that I did, I mean, I, I read thousands. I've been out of the field for a long time. Uh, I really hadn't been in the field because uh, most of this biomarker work happened after, was just starting in Bristol after, and you know, happened after I left. So I just read thousands and thousands of papers and I interviewed um, a lot of people for the book, which was really fun. Uh, and this institute in Germany turned out to be a great place to be because um, there were these, there was this uh, strong um, uh, biomarker lab in Oldenburg. And so a lot of people came through. Um, so I talked to uh, um, Guillaume Risson at that time. I talked to Pierre Albrecht. I mean, some of these people are no longer with us. Um, and I used both their papers and their stories um, in the book. In our conversation with Susan, we learned she applied a similar research approach for her newest novel, The Accidentals. There's no organic geochemistry in it. Well, wait, that's not quite true. So it's, there's a lot of birds. There's a lot of ornithology. Um, it's uh, set in, in California and Uruguay, where I lived for a long time. Um, and, uh, and, and, and it's about a young man, a young bird watcher, a young man who, who goes back to Uruguay with his mother who was born there and um, uh, about the land, the wetlands they've inherited and uh, a new species of bird that he discovers on those land. But he also, fa he falls in love with a microbiologist. <laughs> so I didn't think there was gonna be that much science in this novel, but in, in, in the end there is, there's a lot of ornithology and there's a lot of microbial ecology. Um, and do I put, does, are there any biomarkers in there? No, no, there's microbial ecology, but it's a basic, it, I mean, again, I work a research project into the, into the novel. And there it is, folks. Check out Susan's work for your next science and science fiction fix. Thanks so much for joining us today, and a sincere thank you to Susan Gaines for speaking with us and for giving us a lens into her world. And now, for a special message. This is Shari Rarit from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. If you're enjoying the Biomarkers podcast series and would like to stay up to date with all the future episodes, then you can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll speak with Jürgen Rollcutter, Professor of Organic Geochemistry at the University of Oldenburg in Germany. To tune into our work so far, go to summons.mit.edu backslash biomarkerspodcast. Biomarkers is produced in the Summons Lab at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology.